You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Welcome if you are new to the show. Welcome back if you are not. Uh, Kevin Parker here as the host. Scott Martin, my co-host with me. Uh, We got a a fun episode. If you haven't listened to last week's show, stop it right now. Go back and listen because the context will be important. Basically what we're doing here... We're drafting our offense and defense from the last uh, decade of Michigan State football. And uh, we'll get into the specifics and how it all works out before uh, we really dive into it. But before we do, Scott, it's a Saturday afternoon. I got a beer in front of me. We got uh, a lot of stuff going on, including a Michigan State basketball team that is doing some Tom Izzo things right now. So how are we doing today? Good, Kevin. There's there's reason for hope again. <laughs> the MSC basketball team, as you mentioned, is coming hot off the heels of two straight top five wins. It's currently Saturday. I don't know if you mentioned that already. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it feels good to have something to root for and something to feel good about. And uh, hopefully the boys will keep it rolling. By the time this drops, I guess we'll know the results of the, the Maryland game as well. So hopefully we pull off another win. We'll be sitting pretty on the bubble. Um, in the midst of the basketball craziness yesterday, we got a new football helmet. Uh, what did, I'm, I'm sure you saw it with the script state. What did you think? I, I love it, first of all. Uh, the unveiling, it was, this was something I, I didn't even really think about at the time. But the more that I saw like other Big Ten people tweeting about it and they were, you know, quote tweeting, the more I realized it was kind of weird the way they unveiled it because obviously it's a, it's paying homage to the basketball program with the script state, but there there was no football in the kind of promo. So that was it was just a basketball guy walking out onto the football field. I can't remember who it was uh, off the top of my head, which player was the model for it, but no, I, I love it. Mel Tucker in barely over a calendar year bringing in uh, I think the first was the block S against Indiana right and then we had Gruff Sparty and now we bring in the script state uh, he's uh, he's really listening to the fans which I think is really cool yeah no I love it too obviously it's a fan favorite basketball jersey 
um, going all the way back to the magic days. And uh, yeah, it's cool. I, I, not sure I loved the the uniform combo they they showed it with. I'm ho- I'd want them to just do probably an all white, but we'll see if they bring that out onto the field this season. Obviously, they're not necessarily yeah, the, going to wear exactly that. The green pants weren't the best fit with it, so I'm with you there. I actually sent out a tweet about that. So hopefully they they get their act right. But no, I I, I love that they're just trying new stuff. They're messing around with it. Um, We'll we'll see, like you said, uh, how everything comes together when it actually looks on the field. Hopefully, the more of these other alternate jerseys that we come out with, the more that the neon just gets phased out of the program. But uh, that's another topic for another time. But uh, in general, no, I love what Mel's doing with the uniforms, really getting it out there on social media. And uh, is like, is there anything that's missing now? Like we've we've done the block S, we've done Spart the Gruff Sparty, we've done the script state. Is there anything that's missing? Like what what are we what are we looking for next? What's the big next big innovation in our football uniforms? So I'm not sure the um, the style or the the fashion, the football fashion, has come full circle enough yet to bring this one back. But at a certain point you're going to see a, that Kelly green come back, you know, like the early thousands, Jeff smoker era, like brighter green. <laughs> just, just please don't bring the, the vertical stripes on the shoulders. Those oh, old like man. Reebok jerseys. Yeah. Those were so bad. No new styles for sure. They're going to have to figure out how to do it tastefully. I trust Nike and whoever is doing all those designs. Cause they, they never miss with MSU stuff, but besides um, the neons. Hey, even the neons with a couple of changes this year were better. They were improved from their initial <laughs> unveiling. With the green pants, for sure, had to go. The this the neon state on the jersey is like a four out of ten, but it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. But I I will never come around on those. I just can't. I can't do it. Yeah, no. I think they'll uh, they'll get back to. Well, one thing they've been doing in like the university branding is more like gold. And I don't mean like the super deep bronzy gold that they use for the pro combat, but like this brighter actual, you know, gold coloring um, could definitely be cool. They've been using more black lately as well, which I think if you incorporate like a black and gold with green accents or something, you could be onto something. Yeah, I I wonder I do wonder what's going to be next. I I would love for them to bring back some of those pro combat jerseys that we had with mm-hmm. uh like 2015 the oregon game uh those were awesome the the home jerseys we had there there was the michigan pro combats that we brought out i think it was 2011 right yeah. uh, i would love to see kind of a, a remake on one of those maybe adjusting it slightly but even just as is i i would love to bring those back but um yeah we we won't talk about uh uniforms the whole episode here um, we missed actually right after we finished recording last week, uh, was the announcement that Ben Van Summeren was transferring from Michigan to Michigan state, which in itself is, is weird and noteworthy. The player, uh, we'll see what Mel Tucker has in stores as far as a role he played fullback. He played linebacker. He he did a little bit of of a lot of different things at Michigan. So we'll see how this staff decides to use him. But what really stood out to you with that announcement? I know it was making its rounds on Twitter last weekend. We're a little late to this, but 
Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, you know, the player that we're getting, really athletic, really strong, big frame, um, definitely a guy you could see why Mel Tucker's interested in him, um, you know, combination of speed and strength. Definitely had a hard time finding a home, obviously, at Michigan. Um, as you mentioned, he played a couple different eras, areas. In high school, he <laughs> – I don't, you, you were going through the stats like right with me, you know, earlier this week, but he played like a good bit of quarterback, I think wide receiver. He may have been listed as a tight end, but kind of, you know, that receiving tight end hybrid role linebacker. I think he played some defensive end in high school. Um, So really a a jack of all trades guy. We'll see, like you said, what kind of plan there is with Mel Tucker. I think it's kind of a wait and see approach rather than really, you know, bookmarking him for any specific role, but but beyond the player, I mean, yeah, to have a transfer from Michigan to Michigan State, I mean, you mentioned it offline, you know, how do you, like that first time you're in the locker room, you're like, hey guys, so like a couple months ago, you know, I hated you, you hated me, but like now? <laughs> We're just going to, that's all under the rug, right? Yeah, like yeah, It's just water under the bridge. I I have to imagine, because I've, I've thought about this quite a bit, because look, like the recruiting flips, that happens all the time. And that is what it is, right? Between Michigan and Ohio State, between Michigan and Michigan State, like that stuff happens. Um, and it's still a little bit weird. Like, how do you commit yourself to Michigan and then flip it to Michigan State or vice versa? But he was in the building. He was playing like suited up in that game. Like, I, I really can't get my head around just hopping into the locker room. Oh, what's up, guys? Like, you know, like nothing's wrong. I have to imagine the more I've thought about this, the first day of padded practice, I think he's going to get a couple shots. I think maybe in kind of a playful, you know, fun way, but I, I do think he'll take a couple shots that first week of practice. I hope he's a good sport about it, uh, but I think it'll be, you know, th- there's like the freshman hazing. I, I think this there will be some specific Ben Van Summer in hazing uh, that will go along with it. But, no, obviously he looks like a good athlete, and we'll see what what uh, Mel has in store for him. Um, anything else before we dive into the draft here? and we, We'll uh, explain kind of the rules and how we set this thing up. No, just kind of a, a calendar reset for posterity. So when, you know, you're listening back at this episode seven years ago, you know where, where we were in our schedule. So right now it's uh, February 27th. They're kind of in the middle of strength and conditioning. I think it came out, whatever this means, that they started phase two this past week. Um, I I didn't really research exactly what the different phases were. I, in any I don't event. think they. it's important at all. It's <laughs> They're on the strain train right now. Uh, that's all you need to know. So... No, some of the video, the content they're they're pumping out of this strength and conditioning is really impressive. I think the video this week that came out was uh, Jordan Hightower squatting like over five. Devin Hightower. Devin Hightower, excuse me. <laughs> There's so many Hightower. Um, yeah, squatting like 500 plus. There were a couple other, I think, linemen that were squatting like 600 plus. And I mean, listen this has always been kind of a weird one to fawn over like, Ooh, look how much this man's lifting. But still when you're content deprived, like we are, we'll take what we can get. <laughs> yeah. And, and Mel Tucker has preached from the beginning program is built in the weight room. I've heard nothing but good things about this conditioning program. It's kicking the guy's asses. And 
It, look, this is probably the same conversation that's going on in fan bases across what is there 120 FBS programs in America right now, right? It's optimism. It's look at this guy benching 400 pounds. It's look at this guy with uh, the agility footwork drills. Like, yeah, I understand all that, but that's not to say that we can't get excited about it. So like you said, kind of that's where we are a couple weeks out from spring ball. Uh, and, and obviously, as spring practice starts to roll around, we'll get back into more of the specifics with this team and uh, what we're looking for in the spring game and all of that. But for now, we are doing the second part of our, uh, whatever we want to call it, the decade draft, I think is what we settled on. But basically, how we set this thing up, again, just a reminder, if you haven't listened to last week's show, stop it right now, go back, listen to that one first, and then come back because... We did the defense first, and basically what we're doing, we are taking uh, the last 11 years of Michigan State football, and we're drafting a defense and an offense. We're kind of competing with each other in that sense. Uh, The reason that it came out to 11 was the original idea was to take one player per year. We basically scrapped that because it would have gotten really complicated trying to figure out who was already off the board and Uh, You know, we're kind of lazy, so we decided to switch it up a little bit. So basically how it's going to work out is is you're going to draft your team. Once a player is selected, he's off the board. The other person can't take him. But the the added wrinkle is that you're taking this player for one specific season. So there are a couple guys on this list. I'll highlight, you know, the wide receivers can be the obvious example where there were some kind of one-hit wonders, right? And so you're taking them for that one year. You're not necessarily taking them for their entire career. Um, So I think uh, that about wraps up the prep. As you're listening, you've already heard last week, so um, hopefully you kind of understand the gist of it. And, yeah, let's, let's kick this thing off. All right. So uh, great intro. So I, I would flip the coin again, but I feel like it's only fair. I give you the first pick this time. I had it last week. So it's, it's the second half now it's the second half kickoff. So we'll flip the field. A gentleman, a gentleman and a scholar. My co-host is, uh, yeah, last week, Scott got the first pick and took my, my beloved Greg Jones from me. (laughs) So I do appreciate you, uh, returning the favor here. Um, we're just alternating picks, so we're not doing like the double up on a snake trap. We're just kind of making it a little more simple going back and forth here. So first pick, uh, I will be honest. I've thought about this. I think there is a very clear and obvious selection for the number one pick. There are, I won't give away too much of my strategy here, but I think there are a few positions where yeah, there are some really talented guys that that you might be screaming into the radio, like, how do you not take this guy first? But there are a few guys that I just, I, the difference between the fir- the best and the second best are, are very slim. And at this position, I think it's, it's a pretty monumental gap. I'm going with Jack Conklin, offensive tackle off the board as the first overall pick for, for two reasons. One, he is an elite, elite talent. He is a two-time now all-pro at the next level, once in Tennessee, once now with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, this past season, he was an all-pro. First-round draft pick. 
Uh, I mean, what else needs to be said? He, he was an excellent player at Michigan State. Everything pans out there. And then, like I said, the other thing is just like the position itself has not been really kind to us the last few years. So um, I, I think the gap between number one and number two is huge at the offensive tackle spot. So I'll go ahead and lock up my anchor, Jack Conklin, with the number one overall pick for the offense. And then and just to put a season on it as well, because uh, I forgot about that, 2015, mm-hmm. first team all Big Ten. Uh, I, I mean, the accolades kind of stacked up for him in that season more than any of the others. So, uh, yeah, Jack Conklin, number one overall. Yeah, he was, uh, he was my number one overall on the big board as well. I'm bummed you took him. Uh, definitely tackles are going to get a little slim by the end by the, by tackle number four. It's going to be interesting. It gets dicey real quick. I was was looking in some dark corners to find some tackles for the board, but uh, yeah, no Jack Conklin. I mean, really, even though he is a, you know, a name that comes up when you think of great offensive linemen from Michigan state, I think because there's a lack of context at that position in the Michigan state program, people don't really appreciate how good he was. I mean, he was nationally, I mean, obviously he was an All-American, first-team All-American, um, nationally one of the best players in the country. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we were talking last week or the week before about that picture of Sean Oakman on Baylor, you know, the, the coin toss, the giant defensive end. Um, he had three tackles that game because he was lined up head-to-head with Jack Conklin. I mean, he, he, and he was, I believe, an all-conference, if not All-American player himself as well. Um, so. He he inhaled guys that whole year is the best yeah. way I can say. Like he went up against Joey Bosa in 2015, and I don't really remember Joey Bosa doing a whole lot that game. <laughs> so I just yeah, he inhaled dudes. There was nothing they could do. Pass protection, run blocking, you name it. He was the first offensive tackle to be a first team All American for Michigan State since Flozell Adams in 1997. Flozell Adams, yep. I had a long career with the Chicago Bears. All right, but I'm dragging this out here. So first pick for me, keeping it uh, on the front lines here. And I think Uh really if Jack Conklin is the clear number one, uh, this player is the clear second best offensive lineman we've had in this era. That's 2015 Jack Allen. Well, Jack Allen as a whole. But, you know, if I have to put a year on it, 2015, again, first team All-American. Um, pretty outstanding that we had two first team all Americans in 2015. Um, I think at least myself personally, I did not put as much weight into that as, as I could have. Um, that was a phenomenal line and Jack Allen, two time, first team, all big 10, two time Remington finalist. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to really talk up offensive linemen other than just saying how darn good they were and looking at their accolades. But yeah, 2015 Allen going to center the uh, the offensive line for me. Yep, that was number two on my board as well. Uh, I He was another guy where I talked about it with Curtis Drummond last week, the Big Ten All-Decade team that they unveiled this summer. Jack Conklin was a complete and total snub, and I was very upset about it. Still am to this day. Uh, stud, just total stud. And uh, has has found himself in the NFL. His brother actually has had a little bit more success in the NFL, surprisingly. But 
Um, no, just a, a really great player anchoring as the center. You have more responsibility than any other offensive line position just due to the nature of the communication and everything else that goes along with it. So he was, he was an anchor for those teams. And you know, what's really sad as we were going through this is our first two picks are offensive linemen. And it's like, we had great offensive lines for a few years there. And we have just sucked for, what, four or yeah. five years now. And it just – it really makes me upset listening to us talk about Jack Conklin and Jack Allen. And, yeah, those days are behind us, at least for the foreseeable future. But that's why we do stuff like this, because when you can't live in the present, you live in the past. <laughs> so, all right, back to you. Pick number two. I – again – um this this is where it really gets interesting because, again, there's a lot of positions where the difference between one and two is pretty slim. And I, man, I don't even know what I'm going to do here. I'm going to go with another offensive lineman. I'm going to okay. start just building from the trenches, and I'm going to take a guy with the most – we talk about the first guy off the bus – Joel Foreman is the first guy off the bus. That dude had traps like I have never seen in my life. He had the neck roll. I mean, he was the prototypical mauling, run-blocking offensive lineman. So I'll take Joel Foreman, the 2011 form, first team all Big Ten from the coaches and the media. Uh, Just honestly – one of the most intimidating football players that I can remember at Michigan State lined up. You, you did not want to see that guy in front of you by any means. And so I'll take Joel Foreman here. Uh, I'll throw him at left guard, put him next to Jack Conklin, and we're just going to road grade people on that left side. Man, when you look at who they'd be, I mean, Shelly Calhoun and Kenny Willickis, they got their work cut out for him now. Um, that's who I have on my defense. If you, again, if you did not listen to that episode, stop now. Um, I guess we haven't really talked about it, but last week we did say we were going to try to like build our teams yep. and put them up head to head, right? So that's that's something to take into account here. Again, I kind of had a stronger front seven. We agreed on and, and Kevin. Well, we both had good lines, but I had a great linebacker core, and Kevin had that lockdown no fly zone. So. Again, if you haven't, go back and look at that or listen to that. Excuse me. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna at least give myself a shot in the run game uh, because, like he said, that that front seven was devastating. But if I can get Conklin and Foreman on one side together, uh, maybe that'll give me a shot at opening up some holes for whoever I choose at running back. So, yeah, yeah. All right. Well. Um, he was number three on my big board. So apparently we're coming to this at least in the early stages with a similar strategy. And I as well am going to continue on the offensive line trend, bringing together two out of the three Allen brothers going with Brian. Uh, Um, That puts me in a bind here. Yep. (laughs) That that puts me in a tough spot. He had 38 starts, 17 at center, 16 at guard or left guard and five at right guard. So I'll put him at left guard. Um, again, total interior lineman, um, Swiss army knife there. Uh, but again, 27 team captain, 
Uh, didn't have any All-American honors like the first couple of guys, but, uh, you know, was, I think a three-time second-team All-Big Ten, so 2015 to 2017. I'll take 2017, Brian Allen, but really consistent guy and really helped to kind of bridge the gap for us between the, the strength of the 2015 team, obviously 2016, we know what happened, and then bringing us back in 2017. That was a Brian Allen-led uh, line that year that got us 10 wins, so um bringing the like I said bringing the brothers together on the inside to start it off that is a that's problematic for me (laughs) because I was really counting on Brian Allen being my center uh and I had him listed I I have my position kind of big boards in, in themselves right yeah and uh he was listed in, in as an offensive guard and an offensive center, just depending on where, where this kind of played itself out. But I was really counting on him being a center. That's going to throw me off. But, um, man, that really throws me off. Okay, uh, let's regroup here. Trust your board. Trust your big board. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to uh, – we're going to take this away from the tr- trenches here for the first time. And you might you might be sitting you might be sitting in your car in your office you're, you got a couple people in mind on the offensive side of the ball that obviously you're thinking how is this guy not off the board how we've gotten three four picks already and he's still not taken um, I'm probably going to keep uh, keep you waiting on those guys I'm gonna take who I think was the best wide receiver. Of this group, there are some great ones, and I think this position has a pretty deep group. But I, I do think that there's one guy that does stand out just a little bit over the others, and that's going to be Aaron Burbridge. 2015, Aaron Burbridge, 85 catches, 1,258 yards, seven touchdowns. Uh, in that season, he was the Big Ten wide receiver of the year, obviously a first-team all-Big Ten selection. Uh, And in that 2015 season, he had the most receptions of anybody in Michigan State history in a single season, fifth all-time in a single season in terms of yards, Uh, and he had seven touchdowns. Like I said, that was number 13 all-time. So a a historic season in terms of Michigan State record books. And I think of the receiver group, in terms of just raw talent, I think that he was the best uh, of that group. Like the the play that really stands out is you remember that play against Penn State where he broke he, he took an out route the and they broke spin. like four tackles. He did the double spin move into yeah. the end zone. And it was just one of those like y- you really can't put into words that type of athleticism at that position. So I'll take Aaron Burbridge off the board here as the first skill position guy uh to to go here. Yeah, he almost feels like a flash-in-the-pan guy, and I don't think that's very fair to him. Um, But we had a phenomenal receiving core early in the Connor Cook days. You had Fowler, Lippitt, um, obviously R.J. Shelton, guys like that. Burbridge came on really quick, won uh, Big Ten wide receiver of the year, and then went to the draft. It was all, all in one year. I think the year prior, he had like less than 500 receiving yards, and then he had over, I don't have the stats in front of me anymore, but well over a thousand yards um, in that season. So yeah, no good pick. He was my first wide receiver. I didn't have him that high on my board just because 
it's not a priority for me right now, but, um, but great pick. And, and yeah, I mean, uber, uber talented. Um, so where you go outside, I'm going to keep it inside, but I'm leaving the trenches. So the first running back off the board and this one, I had, I had some trouble and honestly, I probably shouldn't have a running back this high because I like two different guys so much. Um, Le'Veon Bell is who I'm going to go with. Um, that being said, Jeremy Langford is probably my all-time favorite Spartan running back. But because we're taking this for one year, and I'll, I'll do 2012 Le'Veon, but because it's one year, uh, that's kind of what made the difference. Um, Langford had back-to-back 1,500 yards from scrimmage seasons, um, 2014 and 2015, coming off the heels of, of Le'Veon Bell's big season in 2012. But Le'Veon had almost 2,000 scrimmage yards in 2012. He touched the ball like over 30 times a game on average that year. Um, total bell cow back. And another reason that I decided on Le'Veon over Langford was because of Kevin's team. Um, you've got that 4-2-5. So, you know, you do have – I think you took like two middle linebackers. Let me see. Who do you have? Yeah, I have uh, Max Bola and, Bola and Joe Bocci. So yeah. that would be a dogfight, those two up against Le'Veon in the trenches. But, uh, yeah, that made the difference for me. Obviously, Le'Veon's an all-time favorite. I think Langford, all in all, had a better career at Michigan State um, if you look at the full picture. But, uh, but the one year Le'Veon made the difference for me. Yeah, I, I also had Le'Veon Bell ranked number one in terms of the running backs, but I that was one where I, I kind of mentioned off the off the beginning. I have such a slim difference between the two of them that I was going to kind of just let that one ride and just kind of accept that I'll take the second of whoever you end up with. I'm, I'm happy with both. So Le'Veon Bell, though, holy cow, that 2012 season was absolutely ridiculous the amount that we asked him to do to just carry that team and Andrew Maxwell's uh, arm was basically no 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 no. we're just going to give the ball to Le'Veon a hundred million times and uh, that's going to be our offense because Andrew Maxwell's our quarterback and uh, clearly that's not going to work so yeah that coming especially coming off the heels of Javon Ringer Mm -hmm. there were a couple years there where we just were marching out uh, workhorse, workhorse backs to the nth degree. So Le'Veon obviously has had himself a very nice NFL career as well. So uh, yeah, good pick there. I, I he was my number one back, but I'm not uh, not too worried about that. I am back up here, and since I have the opportunity, uh, I will go with another wide receiver here where I can get two guys that I think when you line them both up at on the outside are, are really going to be dynamic boundary wide receivers. So I'm going to take Tony Lippett here from the 2014 season. Uh, was his best year, obviously, 65 catches, 1,198 yards, call it 1,200, with 11 touchdowns. Again, the Big Ten wide receiver of the year. We had him back-to-back in 14 and 15, and now I have him back-to-back on my roster. Uh, Number five all-time at Michigan State, single-season touchdowns with that 2014 season, number six in yards, number 10 in receptions. 
another historic year. We just had that that run of again, like it 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 sounds disingenuous, but kind of one and done type receivers where they had a couple halfway decent years and then just blew up one year. A couple of halfway decent years and then just blew up one year. And and these guys were back to back, Lippitt in fourteen, Burbage in fifteen. And now I got them both uh, as my two outside receivers. I'll figure out who I want to run that slot position, but uh, feeling really comfortable with those two as my as my starting on the outside. Yeah, yeah, no, that's going to be hard to beat at wide receiver. Um, Lippitt was right behind Burbridge on my big board, so that's going to be a little weaker unit for me. But we're we're rolling on the uh, on the Le'Veon Bell train. Um, but I think I got to make a splash. You know, I, I'm going to reach down my board a little bit, but I, I got to, you know, I got to take a name that I know I love. Uh, I'm going to take the first QB off the board, 2014 Connor Cook. Um, and Connor Cook was a, he's a guy that had three really, really strong, three of the best quarterbacking seasons um, in school. Well, I don't know about school history, but recent memory anyway. Um, I went with 2014. 2015, he had just about the same amount of yards, a few more completions, but his, uh, his completion percent was a little lower. And in 2014, offense was just – it was, I, I would say, the best offense the school's ever had. Um, I mean, you can go back to different eras and, and try to, you know, change – move the goalposts based on what a good offense was back then. But I think if you just look at it in the context of modern football, this is the best offense we've ever had. 2014, that was – um, and it was led by Connor Cook. He had almost 150 passer rating on the season, 24 touchdowns, eight interceptions. And I mean, everybody, I think, remembers that. We were talking about how much of an anomaly that offense was. Um, in like 2013 and 2015, we averaged like 380-ish yards per game, which was a strong offense for Michigan State. Uh, Those, I think both of the, there was 2013, 15 and 17, Mm -hmm. the final, it came out to within, like it was within two yards in terms of yards per game. Like it was very similar, about 383, 385. Yeah. And those were again, strong offenses by Michigan state standards. 2014, we averaged 500 yards a game. Um, Just far and away, like I said, the best offense we've ever had, led by Connor Cook. So I'm going to go ahead and put him, pencil him in, 2014 Connor Cook at quarterback. I actually did not have Connor Cook as my number one quarterback. Oh, so so I'm just I right into your hands. <laughs> that I was pretty happy about that selection. No, but he had uh, it back-to-back seasons of just ridiculous production like you said so 2014 obviously I think you have to go with just because that whole offense uh was unbelievable and Connor Cook obviously being at the helm and you asked this question to me last week in uh in regards to Denikos Allen and I my question for you is Connor Cook obviously phenomenal career brought us to unparalleled heights in Michigan State's program, especially in recent memory. Is there any one moment that really stands out for you for Connor Cook, kind of looking back uh, a few years later? I've never had this had to have this thought process, so there's not one immediate. Uh, there's a couple that I'm just t- kind of trying to, to parse through the memories to make sure I – I mean, the 2014 Cotton Bowl – 
especially the fourth quarter. I don't know what his stats were. I'm not looking at it. I don't know if he even had a good game, but that fourth quarter comeback was all him. Well, we put um, up like 48 points, right? So, <laughs> well, yeah, that's also because Baylor takes like two right. <laughs> plays to either to score or lose the ball. But, um, yeah, no, that I mean, that one sticks out. The Rose Bowl, you had a few great throws, but I don't think it was like a, you know, eye popping game for him necessarily. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, he was kind of just Mr. Consistent. He wasn't like the type of quarterback that would come out of the woodwork and, you know, out of nowhere, blow somebody out. He was the guy that most games he was good and a few games he was great. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, like I said, that Cotton Bowl sticks out in my head now. If I went back, I'd probably come back with three different answers, but how about you? Yeah, no, that that's the thing is I, I was actually spending some time really trying to think about this and it, there's, there's really not one moment, right? There's, there's a handful of, of general games, right? Yeah, the Baylor game towards the end, especially. Uh, the one, it, it, I, I thought about it, like if I had to boil it down to one moment, like one specific play, the one that I came up with was the uh, 2015 Iowa Big Ten Championship game, that final drive. I know where you're Obviously, going. we're just yeah. marching down the field, taking like nine minutes off the clock and taking like nine years off of my life. And uh, there was the fourth, fourth and one or fourth and two down towards the goal line. Uh, we ran a speed option to the left. He decided to keep it, ran over a linebacker while he already had an injured shoulder from that game. I think that was the one I kind of landed on, but there, there isn't, yeah, the, other than that, that was, um, there's not really like one throw, one moment that you really remember, right? There was the Tony Lippett slant pass in the late in the Rose Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. There's the the game against Michigan. I can't remember if that was 13 or 14 where he ran over that Michigan defender uh, on the goal line. But yeah, that, that was kind of what stood out to me was was that option keeper and just kind of showing that toughness mm-hmm. and stealing the the trophy away from Archie Griffin. I was going to say after that, that game, <laughs> that might has, be the moment. His legacy has two facets for me. One is he was a third down king, whether he was throwing the ball or QB sneaking, running the option, whatever you needed he would get a first down on third downs when you really needed one. And honestly, I think that was one of the biggest differences between him and Brian Lewerke, other than their physical build and, and game style, but just as far as like how I think of them in my head. Lewerke sometimes had trouble with those high-pressure moments, and Connor Cook, you, you just knew he was going to make the right call. So that's the first aspect, and the second aspect is him snatching that trophy from Archie Miller – or <laughs> Archie Griffin, excuse me um, – and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he got kind of an unfair reputation um, as he went into the draft, but uh, all-time Spartan for sure. Yeah, and, yeah, maybe that reputation was uh, ended up being correct because he hasn't really found himself a nice NFL career. He did start a playoff game, though. We can never forget that. He uh, I think it was it. Connor, Connor Cook versus Brock Osweiler playoff game. <laughs> What was, um, his, what was his line in that? It was it was bad. It was like <laughs> six for seventeen or something with an interception. I think I don't know, but um, 
Yeah. Yeah, that was like an early afternoon, like Saturday uh, playoff game where, yeah, it's Connor Cook against, I think it was Brock Osweiler. And yeah, it was a, it was a rough go of it. But hey, he started a playoff game. And uh, my quarterback that I will now end up with later on, I don't really have to worry about it for a while, uh, has started a few playoff games. And uh, we'll get to him when the time comes. So. Where does that leave me? I got a couple offensive linemen. I got a couple receivers. And I can sit on my quarterback and my running back now uh, until the end because unless you plan on taking a two-QB system, uh, I don't really have to worry there. I'm going to go ahead and take the only other offensive tackle with any kind of accolades here. Oh, I I honestly I I'll be you know completely honest with the audience here. I don't remember this guy, but uh, 2010 oh. DJ Young okay. was he was a second team All Big Ten. Um, and again, to be completely honest, I don't really remember him that much. But yeah, uh, so- from from what I do remember. Uh, he was he was a solid offensive tackle in that 2010 season where I was Kirk Cousins' first solid season as a starting quarterback. Edwin Baker had a really nice year that year. He was a first-team All-Big Ten running back. He had well over 1,000 yards in that season. So he did uh, help pave the way for a, a pretty productive offense that averaged almost 30 points a game. So I'm going to go ahead here and take DJ Young, to be my right tackle again, a second team all Big Ten guy. Uh, the only other guy, I, uh, the only other offensive tackle with any kind of accolades to him. So I'll go ahead and lock up my other tackle. All right. So when you said tackle, I was getting really nervous because obviously this is two for you and zero for me. So I'm kind of left with the uh, the spare parts, if you will. Um, but I had him as my number four. I know he got second team all Big Ten. Um, in 2010 I think he was in like junior college or he transferred from somewhere else so that maybe you you know he wasn't there the whole time so maybe that's the reason you know he's not the first name that pops into your head but uh no I was getting nervous I guess I can kind of sit on my tackles now I am actually though gonna take someone who I will fill in at tackle he wasn't purely a tackle um but Dan France Yep. Who played his junior year? He started 11 games at left tackle. Um, he had like one Spartan Offensive Lineman of the Week award, but uh, didn't do too much. But played at tackle his his senior year. He started at right guard the whole year, which was really his. He was an honorable mention All Big Ten. It was his best season. Um, but I'm taking him as a hybrid. I'm gonna slot him in as a tackle because I'm desperate for tackles. But uh, and and I guess I'll take 20 – well, I'm going to take 2013, even though I'm putting him in at tackle because it was his best <laughs> year. But Dan yeah. France, I'll put him at right tackle. I There's some strategy that comes into play with the offensive linemen because there's a bunch of guys that played a, a lot of different spots. And so it makes it kind of interesting. We already saw with Brian Allen, you snagging him away from me at center – and I'm still trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to do there. But um, 
Yeah, Dan France. He was he was just a solid, steady presence there in the offensive line for a few years. I, I just he's one of those guys that we are craving now. Mm-hmm. Just a, a guy that you know you can slot in there. He's going to take care of business. He's going to do his job. And you, you know, can rely on him to to be a steady presence there. We just haven't had that in a while, I and I would love to have Dan France now. I don't think um, Cole Chewins or AJ Curry were that far from being a Dan France, but it, they could never stay healthy. You right, know, if right. they were healthy, they'd be that guy. They've been more consistent. They're not all Big Ten first team players, but they're guys that you can trust when they're healthy to to plug in and generally, you know, not implode. So. Um, yeah, definitely craving somebody like that. Maybe uh, some of these younger guys we got coming up the pipeline are uh, are going to become the next Dan France. If that's what I hope so, aspire man. to be. Yeah. <laughs> that's every young offensive lineman is aspiring to be the next Dan France. Uh, no, good player, good pick. I, he was my third offensive tackle, actually, as well. So I, I think that does... Uh, that does make an impact. I, I'm going to keep building in the trenches, man. I just the more I look at this board, I got my two wide receivers. I just need a slot, and there's plenty of guys available that that I can fill that role with. Quarterback and running back, I can sit on. Um, so I'm going to keep building in the trenches here. Give me as my other offensive guard. Give me Blake Treadwell from 2013. Wow. 2013, Blake Treadwell was a second-team All-Big Ten guy, but he did help pave the way for that Jeremy Langford uh, rushing attack, like you said, over over 1,500 yards back-to-back years. Uh, total yards, that is. Uh, I think over 1,400 rushing yards both years. But uh, really paved the way. He was, he was a phenomenal guard. He, he started his career as a defensive lineman. He played as a, as a freshman or as a redshirt freshman. He played like seven or eight games as a nose tackle on the defensive side. They moved him over to the offensive side, and that was a great move because he was an excellent offensive lineman uh, for an excellent rushing attack there in 2013 specifically. Give me Blake Treadwell to be my right guard here uh, and fill out every offensive line position besides the center, which I don't know. We'll figure that thing out. Yeah, I'm surprised here. Um, I had Blake Treadwell on my board. He was a top, I guess that put you, I had a top six interior lineman list and I had a top four tackles. He was my last of my top six so he made my board over a couple of guys but uh he was he was pretty very close with one other guy for me and then it it fell off a little bit after those two but yeah and i think i know who this guy is you can't play him at center so i'm not too worried about drafting him yet Um, yes 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 oh no does that give it away no Uh, i again he was on my list (laughs) but did not crack my top uh next interior lineman I think so. You're obviously talking about twenty uh, or tra- uh, Travis Jackson, right? Um, he did start at center, so he'll, he's going to end up being your center for sure. A co- this, I I I don't know how deep I want to go into a loophole here because <laughs> like very few games. I we'll we'll cross that bridge when right, we get there. All right. So <laughs> I I know who my next guard, my last guard's going to be. You know who your center is going to be. 
you don't need another tackle. So my, my last tackle is okay. I am your wide receivers. You're already just gouging. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take, ah, how do I want to play this? I'm going to take, I still don't know. I just keep saying it, thinking it's going to strike me when I <laughs> right. say it out loud. And it's not, I, I have, I'm trying to decide between different positions right now, which is making it more challenging. Uh, I'm going to take a tight end. Uh, yeah. We haven't touched the tight ends yet. This was going to be my next pick. Yeah, so. you weren't anxious to take a wide receiver. We know kind of how the linemen and the running backs and the quarterbacks are shaking out. So I'm going to get ahead of the ball on this one. For me, there's a clear number one and then a clear number two and then pretty much a nosedive. Not to say we didn't have any other good tight ends in there, but neither of them at all measured up. And this is interesting. I'm actually kind of going against the methodology here of the single season. I'm going to take Josiah Price um, in 2014. He had three really strong seasons in a row. Um, I believe 23. Yeah, I mean, even four, he was like a contributor four straight years. His sophomore and his senior year were really strong. He had more catches his senior year, but I'm actually going to go with 2014. Um, basic, he was 13 shy of his career high in yards, but he was averaging 14 yards per catch and he had a career high tied for a career high with 10 touchdowns, uh, six touchdowns in 10 games. Um, for me, I mean, 2016 was great, but I took 2014 just, again, that offense was so strong, and he was a really vital part of it. He didn't have a monstrous year from a national statistics perspective, but he was a guy who had a ton of clutch plays throughout that stretch, not just that year, his entire career. Um, I think he's probably the favorite tight end of most of our fans here. Again, I think there's a pretty clear number two that you'll end up with, but had to get him off the board early. Yeah, I, that would have been my pick there. I th- as far as production, especially, it's a pretty clear cut number one. But I the the thing that you mentioned there, I think, is important. Like he was a clutch player. It, it seemed like when Connor Cook really needed somebody in the red zone, Josiah Price was always there. Always found a way to get himself open and available. Uh, whether it was in the fourth quarter, whether it was to finish off a half, it was somebody that just every touchdown he had seemed like it was in a pretty big moment. So that is the smart pick there. That would have been my pick here because again, we're not really competing for a whole lot anymore at this point. Um, man, is this what I wanted to, I'm, I'm just going to take another receiver, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't planning on getting all three of these guys at all, but I guess, uh, you know, last week I built everything through the secondary and I wasn't necessarily planning on it. This week I'm going to build through my wide receivers, so I'm just going to have the skill groups locked down uh, more than than I imagined. But I'm going to go with B.J. Cunningham, and that was the 2011 season where he had 79 catches, 1,306 yards, 12 touchdowns, he was a second team all Big Ten, which is just astounding to me. But, uh, you know, in, in terms of a single season, 
Number three in MSU history in yards, number two in receptions, number three in touchdowns. A phenomenal season uh, in his senior year, paired with Kirk Cousins, who uh, obviously, you know, for anybody that's kind of paying attention, Kirk Cousins will be my quarterback as well. But getting to play Aaron Burbridge, Tony Lippett, B.J. Cunningham as my three wide receivers, I was not really counting on that. Um, I guess in terms of like how we would put these guys on the field, Lippitt is secure in one of the outside boundary roles. I think Burbridge and B.J. Cunningham would both really excel out of the slot. So really? we could kind of rotate those two guys. We could do a lot of different things with them. They were both consistent. They both had great hands. So they're going to inhale everything that gets to them, and, and especially Burbridge more than B.J., was really good after the catch as well. So I would probably lean towards Burbridge being my slot guy, uh, and, and I'll stick BJ and Tony Lippett out on the outsides. This is probably how we'll do it, but hey, we'll move them around. We'll do a lot of different things there. Uh, there's a lot of great slot-specific guys but that I was planning on taking, but I guess if you're going to give me all three of the top wide receivers, uh, I guess I have to jump on it. Yeah, so... Um... He was my next wide receiver on my board. I was I did not think you were going to go with an outside wide receiver again. I was kind of just letting him simmer on the back burner there, and now I regret it. But um, <laughs> I think we've pretty much drafted opposite um, lineups at this point. So we reached this point last week where we're kind of on to the filling in the gap stage. So probably not yeah, a lot we're of competition. Yeah, we're not necessarily competing anymore at this point, yeah. Um, so that said, I'm just going to go back to the top and start rounding things out. Um, this was a guy that was pretty high on my list cause I knew tackles would be at a premium until Kevin kind of ran me over with a bus, but, um, 2013 Fufanoti. Yep. Um, okay. Another guy who didn't spend his entire career at Michigan state, just two years. Uh, but I think a fan favorite, you could always recognize him by that flowing hairy head. Um, so I, I guess he was here for three years. Um, started his entire senior year at right tackle. Um, let's see. Honorable mention all big time. I mean, really, yeah, he didn't have the most accolades, but he was a really strong guy. 2013, he had a great balanced attack on offense. And, you know, you can't do that without a strong tackle. So uh, going to put him at left tackle, 2013. Um, I, I love the guy. I think he had a little bit of success in the NFL. Um and uh, yeah, we'll just keep this train rolling. Yeah, he obviously, in terms of uh, the, yeah, I'm, I'm actually just uh, I I got something on Twitter. This is like possible breaking news on the pod that won't be breaking news by the time <laughs> you're listening. We need. To I sire. think we just landed a we landed a commitment here. Four star receiver, Mark Marquis Lowry. Uh, speedy cornerback. Yeah, I was reading with dreads. So, yeah, we'll we'll head on that later on. Uh, that that maybe will be an emergency pod that will come out on Tuesday or something. But uh, my my phone was blown up a little bit here. I had to at least get it out there. So, yeah, by the time you're listening to this, it, it'll be a, a little bit old news a couple days back. But we just landed ourselves a corner, so that's that's always good news. Marky um, Jr. transfer from Louisville. Six foot, great athlete, four years of eligibility. 
like Kevin said, we'll get back Ooh, to four it. years of eligibility. Love that. Yeah. He was in, he was originally in the 2020 class. I don't know if that means he must've reclassified to Louisville and then decided that wasn't his vibe. So cool. Well, Hey, uh, I'll, I'll put out a little video on, on Twitter or something. We'll, we'll find a way to get that news out quicker. So again, as you're listening, this is probably old news. So let's get back to, uh, back to the draft here, I guess. Um, so yeah, like like you said, we're not really competing for anybody at this point. So I'll go ahead and draft my leader, my my savior, <laughs> Captain Kirk, Kirk Cousins. Uh, just I I really think he was my number one quarterback on this board. I, I did have him over Connor Cook in terms of a career and in terms of a single season because that 2011 season, man, Kirk Cousins was dealing. And I, I really, I can't think of another guy in, in the whole D'Antonio era that meant more to the Michigan State program than Kirk Cousins. All the success that we had under Connor Cook, that we had from 2013 to 2015, none of that would have happened without Kirk Cousins. I believe that firmly. And obviously he's had himself a damn fine career in the NFL, made himself a whole lot of money. So yeah, that 2011 season, Kirk Cousins, uh, he was number two in single season completions, number two in yards, number one in touchdowns, throwing for 3,300 yards, 25 touchdowns to just 10 interceptions, 63.7, uh, so basically 64% completion percentage. But yeah, that was his senior year, led us to the, uh, what was that, the Outback Bowl, against Georgia, almost uh, a Big Ten championship. I think we won 11 games that year. I I can't say enough good things about Kirk Cousins and what he meant for this program. And, and just, again, all the success that we had after Kirk was because of Kirk, in my opinion. We, the Hail Mary against Wisconsin. The, the, there was so many great moments. That Big Ten championship game against Wisconsin that we lost – where that that was oh still the God. best the best objective like football game that I was ever like in person watching live. It was just back and forth. People like Kirk Cousins, Russell Wilson, dealing, making plays. It, it was phenomenal football. Heartbreaking way to finish the game, but yeah, Kirk Cousins, 2011 season. He's going to be my quarterback, my leader on this squad here. Yeah, I mean, what more can be said about Kirk? He Honestly, I think everything we accomplished in that run between 13 and 15 was standing on the shoulders of Kirk Cousins and what he did at Michigan State. Without him and the stability he provided early in D'Antonio's um, time at Michigan State, it, it, it just set the foundation for, for the greatness that we were able to live through and Honestly, I feel the more time goes by, the more grateful I am that I was on campus from 2012 to 2015, 16, totally spoiled. Um, (laughs) We had a hell of a run, man. Yeah, but all of that probably wouldn't be doing this. You know, we probably wouldn't be so uh, sucked into Michigan State sports if we hadn't had such great teams. But uh, but it was all, like I said, on the shoulders of Kirk Cousins and those early D'Antonio teams. All right, so... I'm going to throw you for a loop here. I had no plans of doing this until you were chatting about Kirk and I got to thinking. And 
I'm going to change up my strategy here. Uh, I'm going to take my last offensive lineman. Of course you are. And it's a guy that Kevin wants. I had every intention of taking Donovan Clark here until he leaked that he liked Travis Jackson more. So I got to looking <laughs> at the stats and realized I like Travis Jackson a little more too. So 2014 Travis Jackson. I don't know about you. It felt to me like Travis Jackson was on campus for like nine years. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the, the kind of vibe I got as well. The long flowing hair, you know, doing the cheers at the basketball game. Like he was just a Spartan through and through. When did he start the yes chant? What year, do you remember what year that was or around what season that was? You know, I, that's a good, good, it was because he did, I think it was 2013. Yeah, he because he did it in the Rose Bowl. Well, he, he, the way it kind of started was he, because there was a, a, a Big Ten All Access or one of those kind of things on Big Ten Network about that 2013 season. And he, they, they asked him basically, so like, where did that come from, right? And it was a, a touchdown against Michigan. Yep. And he was he was right next to the action and he was like, I didn't really know what to do. So I just started like, you know, it was it was an old WWE thing and he's I just started doing it, right? And then it kind of took on a life of its own. But there like I think it was two thousand thirteen. But then the the rich homie Quan thing, like, did we have two things that year? Like part of it so, that's given me like pause well that's why so it definitely started in 2013 he did it in the 2013 michigan game like you mentioned and he did it uh at the rose bowl i remember him doing it on one of the touchdowns but i don't think it became like the cult kind of reference until either 14 or 15 like he started doing it at the breslin center at right. basketball games and stuff. I don't think the the full campus community really picked it up as like a part of the pop culture of Michigan State until like the 14 or 15 season. That's why I asked that question. And that maybe that's because that's why I, like, I think about 2013 and I think about Rich Homie Quan. Yeah. Right? And that was definitely so, the heart of the culture of that team. Like that was the thing. That was the gum time, you know, for those yeah. fans <laughs> out there of that 2013 team. But um, but yeah, Travis Jackson. Um, I didn't. I took him as a guard, which is only going to piss Kevin off more. I have three centers yeah. on my interior linemen now, but um, really strong for three straight years. Uh, he was here from 2011. He redshirted and played 2012 to 2015. Probably feels like he was there forever because uh, that's exactly when I was there. So he was just around. But uh, yeah, Kevin, where are you headed next? Yeah, I. So the thing with Travis Jackson is I I could have taken him in 2011 where he started 10 games at center. I uh, was a freshman All-American according to Phil Steele, um, not by the AP or anything like that. But after that, he played like seven total games at center the rest of his career through three seasons. So it like I, I in in trying to be like, you know, faithful to the exercise uh, i i would have had to take him as a freshman which i would have been comfortable doing based on the the available choices i have left here 
but um, it, it would have been a little bit of a stretch to take him in any of the other seasons. But yeah, he was my third ranked interior uh, like guy. He was he was right behind Blake Treadwell. Uh, really great career, like outside of all the off field stuff that we all love him for. He was just a damn good football player as well. So, and if you pull up his, uh, if anybody pulls up on the, right now on on the roster, like his official roster photo on MSUSpartans.com, he's got the like the 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 Bama bangs, like the, the you think about like the Alabama quarterbacks, like yeah. that that's. That like kind of not like a bull cut, but like the kind of wavy bull cut length, yeah, like uh, swooshy Bieber, bangs, Bieber bangs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's just a great photo. You would never look at that guy and think like great offensive lineman. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, we'll get to the center here in a minute. Um, uh, I'll figure out. I I got an idea of who I'm gonna take. I don't feel good about it, but. I'll just kind of keep going down my list here. I got my quarterback, Kirk Cousins. I'll go ahead and take my running back. Uh, and that's obviously with, with Le'Veon Bell off the board, it's going to be Jeremy Langford. Uh, and if I have to pick one season, it's going to be 2014. Maybe just due to the, the overall success of that offense, but his numbers were a little bit better that year. Uh, 1,500 rushing yards, 22 touchdowns. Added another 62 rushing uh, or receiving yards onto that as well. Wasn't the the thing about Jeremy Langford that's funny is he was never an All Big Ten selection in any in anything like third team, right? He was he was just going up against like Ezekiel Elliott was in that time frame. Um, I, I who was Even who like, else was in there? As there was like obviously Gordon some Wisconsin, somebody? right? Yeah. Melvin Gordon, you're right. Um, there's always a Wisconsin running back, but there was just, he was competing with, you know, just guys who had breakout seasons and it never worked out for him. But that 2014 season, man, yeah, he was, uh, the most rushing touchdowns in a single season in MSU history, 22, just explosive running back could do a little bit of everything. And just, he was one of those guys where he seemed to always find the hole and just hit it. Like there was Le'Veon Bell had that patented, like patient running style where you'd kind of wait behind his blockers, wait till something set up and, and then attack. And Jeremy Langford, he would just wait until he saw any crease and hit it and go. Mm-hmm. And so it was a little bit different of a running style, but Langford was, was tremendous for those two years. And uh, somebody again, I I really do think it's it's almost a coin flip between those two. If anything, it's like a fifty five forty five split towards Le'Veon Bell. But Langford was was every bit as talented, every bit as special at, at Michigan State. And obviously, just Le'Veon, he he did it at a time where we just weren't quite as good. When he had his special year in two thousand twelve, it, it was just not a good team around him and 2011 he was he was sharing the backfield with Edwin Baker Langford had the backfield to himself for a couple years there and a couple years with a great team around him which does you know bump his stats up a little bit it does bump up his uh his notoriety a little bit as well but Jeremy Langford stud had a a nice little career in the NFL with the Bears as well Mm -hmm. um that's going to be my running back here yeah, he's. I mentioned earlier. I probably like him just as far as 
general fandom more than Le'Veon. I love Le'Veon as well. But Jeremy Langford, I mean, an infectious smile, a guy that you couldn't help but root for no matter whether you were his best friends or, or didn't know him at all. Um, and just phenomenal two years. You mentioned the year with 22 rushing touchdowns. The year before that, he had 19 touchdowns. And what's really tremendous about him, his, he came to Michigan State as a defensive back. He wasn't recruited as a running back. Right. And then didn't he switch? I was trying to think of this. Didn't he switch to receiver before running back? Whatever he did, he didn't really do anything in 2011 or 2012 from like a stat perspective. He had a couple tackles on special teams each year. Um, His sophomore year, he's listed as a running back, had nine carries, 23 yards. That was it. That's his, his first two years. That's his entire line, nine carries, 23 yards. And then his junior year, he has almost 300 carries for 1,400 yards and 18 touchdowns. I mean, it it wasn't one of these guys that like had the luxury of his first couple of years, progressively building carries. Maybe he got 50 carries your sophomore year. No, he had nine carries and then he was a bell cow back and he put up back to back 1500 yard seasons with almost 20 plus touchdowns in each season. Um, Yeah. I feel like to be, and to be the leader in single season touchdowns, like it might say, yeah, okay. That's a nice record. Lorenzo white. Javon Ringer, Le'Veon Bell. Like, this is a program who has put out some all-time great running backs. Lorenzo White was like an all like an all-century NCAA running back. He, he was outstanding. He was like a two-time, three-time maybe Heisman finalist. And, and so to be on the top of that list has to be a special feeling for him. And, yeah, outstanding player. Yeah, I feel like he's the guy who every Michigan State fan – gives him a lot of credit and then says he never got enough credit. Mm -hmm. Like, I I don't know if it's because maybe that nationally he wasn't picked up as much, but like every Michigan state fan you talk to is like, Oh, he didn't get, you know, his credit. He was phenomenal, but every single person you talk to says it. So obviously within MSU circles, he is getting his credit. And (laughs) and even then he probably doesn't get enough. He was, it's, it's the guy that you talk about. That's like, Oh, he's so underrated. But then like the entire fan base says he's underrated. So it's like, well, is he even underrated anymore? Yeah. But like I said, like he never had, had any honorable mention all big 10 yeah. third team all big 10 like that's that's incredible to me yeah. that makes no sense but all right well running backs are settled like you said i think we're both pretty happy about who we got here um i did not plan this actually it was kind of a risk i knew i wanted to go inside and i knew i wanted a strong running game against your four i'm fascinated to see your wide receiver board honestly yeah, me too. because i me went too. i went back and forth on these next kind of group of guys so uh, we'll give our honorable mentions at the end but i'll just start rolling through i guess there's really no risk so i'm gonna go with my big board this wouldn't be my first outside wide receiver choice but i'm gonna go with 2011 Keyshawn martin Um, okay definitely so i think i've said it on the pod before and i bring it up sparingly but i was a michigan fan before i went to michigan state so up until 2011 I was a Michigan fan, right? So anything pre-2012 Michigan State feels a little different. Um, I loved Keyshawn Martin from the first time I saw him play, and I did not like Michigan State at the time. He was so much fun. He was so dynamic. He was so good after the catch. He made just outstanding plays. He was, you know, the, the kind of guy that moves like water on the football field, and 
I just, I loved watching him play. Obviously as a returner, he was phenomenal. We're just looking at him as a wide receiver right now. Um, but my last name's Martin. Maybe that had something to do with it. You know, kids <laughs> pick weird things to, uh, to gravitate towards. But you look at his 2011 season, um, all in all, all, almost 900 scrimmage yards on 85 touches and six touchdowns. His sophomore year, he had 630 yards, but averaged almost 18 yards a touch, which is just insane. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he has – a lot of fans in our fan base. He was a really popular guy. Again, a guy who just made plays kind of just moved around the field and made moves that you didn't expect him to be able to make. And uh, an all time favorite kind of not necessarily top of the big board guy, but just a guy I love to watch him play. Had some very frustrating drops in his career, (laughs) but once you got the ball in his hands, dynamic playmaker who was a lot of fun to watch. Like you said, I had a a punt return touchdown that I can remember against Wisconsin. Uh, There, there was a lot to like about Keyshawn Martin. He was number five overall on my big board. And uh, yeah, if I was looking at us, I was assuming there was no way I was going to get one of these, all three of the top three guys. So I was kind of highlighting Keyshawn Martin as a guy that I would love to have out of the slot. But um, no, he's just a special playmaker in, in general. And uh, I, I really think that if, if he could just hang on to the ball a little bit more often, he would be kind of in this group, uh, in that top group of special, special players. But um, ha- had a little bit of the drops, and that holds him back a little bit. So. Uh, I, let's see, where are we here? Tight end. Uh, I got to take a tight end and it's a guy that I feel pretty comfortable with a guy that I watched, uh, all the way back to his high school days. Uh, he was, he was an upperclassman in high school while we were, uh, you know, like freshmen and sophomores. So he was in our, our division in high school was an outstanding basketball player as well. I know he played at least his first season at Michigan State. He played both. Um, he didn't play a whole lot on the basketball team, but I know he, he was at least on the team. Um, according to Wikipedia, he made several appearances for the Spartans basketball team, and that's Deion Sims. Just freak athlete, honestly. I, I remember him in high school dunking over everybody. Uh, came out and obviously on the football field and dominated, but like six five, like two sixty, two seventy, big dude, athletic dude, uh, a really solid blocker as well as a pass catcher. And I think that's something where once he got to the NFL, he became more of a blocking specialist. But uh, in the 2012 season, which was his best, uh, at least statistically. Uh, 36 catches, 475 yards, and a couple touchdowns. Uh, but, yeah, Deion Sims, just the athleticism was unmatched at that position for his size especially. I'm looking at his combine right now. He was 6'5", 262 pounds, ran a 4'7", 40. Like it, it was 35-inch vertical at 260-plus at pounds. A nine foot four inch broad jump. I mean, he was an athlete, man. And then once he got to the NFL, I think he put on like another twenty or thirty pounds. He was a big dude, but 
yeah, that's going to be my tight end. I think he's a pretty clear uh, number two behind Josiah Price. There's another couple guys that I think were were good, had good careers, but uh, nobody, I think, especially when you're talking about actually putting these guys on the field and playing a game, if you're giving me Deion Sims and lining him up next to Brian Linthicum and telling me to pick one of the two, I think it's a pretty clear selection. So give me Deion Sims at tight end. Yeah, no, that's what I expected you to end up with. Clear number two, as you mentioned. Um, and I was met, I was talking about it a little bit when I took Josiah Price. Um, if you're taking yourself and your, you know, kind of emotional connection to players out of it, and you're taking the best single season receiving tight end, probably overall tight end from this era that we're talking about 2010 to 2020. Honestly, I think Deion Sims 2012 is the right pick. Um, He had almost a hundred more yards that year than Josiah Price's best year. He had 36 catches, which almost ties Josiah Price's 38 career high um, average more yards per catch. And the, the one downside, he, he had trouble finding the end zone. His Yeah, most, and that's, again, like 2012 Andrew Maxwell versus, you know, 2014, 2015 Connor Cook sure. is a pretty, pretty big difference, right? But he did play in 2009 and 11, which were both some of Connor Cook's better years. But we also had other tight ends on the team at the time. So he, that was 2012, like you mentioned, Andrew Maxwell started almost – actually, he did start every game that year, so – um, no, yeah, great guy, great player, decent little spurt with the Dolphins to start his career. Never really found traction there. He did a couple stints with the Bears as well. But um, yeah, that 2012 year, he was kind of the safety blanket for a really a struggling Michigan State offense. So as we continue here, again, filling out the receiving core, it's all I got left. Um, I need two outside receivers. I think I knew, know who they're going to be. This next one. I, I know. Think... I for sure know who one of them is going to be. The other one, I, I, I'll, I'll make my prediction here since it doesn't really matter. I already have. I, I'm pretty confident you're going to go with Felton Davis. And I think if, if I'm putting myself in your shoes and not necessarily just looking at my board, I think you're going to go with Felton Davis and Cody White. That's going to be my prediction, and you can make your one pick here. We'll see if I'm on the right track. We'll see. There might be a surprise. We'll see. So the first one, you're right. It is Felton Davis. Um, And this one, it was a pretty clear choice um, as far as the player, the year got a little tricky because as most of you listening probably remember, he was injured for about half the season, his senior year tore his Achilles ended his, basically his career. Really. I don't think he ever really found a home in the NFL either. He's um, bouncing around practice squads. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen anything in the last year or so. So 27, I mean, purely stat wise, like totals, uh, 2017 was his better year, almost 800 total yards, nine touchdowns, 56 touches. Um, but I'm going to go with 2018. I thought he was a more dominant receiver that year. Um, plenty of, I mean, the, the one-on-one ball skill, ball skills were outstanding. The play that sticks out in my head was against Penn state and happy Valley. I was at this game, uh, that last second, Brian Lewerke to Felton Davis at the left pylon game winning touchdown. Um, but 
I mean, when you look at he averaged more yards per catch and per touch, he averaged 25 yards per rush his senior year. He only had two touches, but 50 yards. <laughs> touchdown. Um, and he was on track to, to probably break a thousand yards from scrimmage that year, probably would have had over 70 touches and the touchdowns would have been close. His, he had nine in 2017 and through half a season, he had five in 2018. So who knows how it would have shaken out, but um again a guy that a lot of fans love it's a, honestly it's it's a, one of the biggest shames that he didn't get to finish his senior year because he was playing better and better and better that year as the season went on and then obviously uh the injury uh put an end to that but um a guy that a lot of people loved you know just another personality that you couldn't help but root for and uh you know didn't talk too much but made a lot of plays so um yeah, Felton Davis, first outside receiver. We'll see who the second one is next. Yeah, I, I mean, those long dreads running around the field, I, you just get good good feeling every time you think about Felton Davis in a Michigan State jersey. Uh, fun stat on Felton Davis, 80. So he had 100 career catches right on the nose. 80 of those catches went for either a first down or a touchdown. Uh, and, and that was kind of the name of his game, right? He was, he was the guy you look for in third down. He was the guy you look for in the red zone. He was uh, just, just a really – it sucks the way that his career finished up because he was on a pace. I, he's 11th in school history in receiving touchdowns. Without being able to finish off that year, I think he could have climbed that list a little bit higher. Uh, great pick. I, I think he was he was a clear selection in this draft. He was my fourth overall receiver. Uh, he was a guy I knew was going to be on there. So, on when it comes to Felton Davis, who would be your NFL comparison? There's a guy in my head. This is why I'm asking you. But who would you who would be your NFL comparison as a wide receiver? Off the top of my head, like, and this isn't directly comparison. He's he's as good as this guy. But if right. we're talking about play style, if we're talking about, you know, just kind of how they approach the game, maybe it's just the first thing that comes into my mind because of the dreads. Damn. But I think about, like, DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, the dreads might might kind of play into that a little bit, but just the way that he went up and mossed dudes mm-hmm. like consistently. And we got down to the red zone, and it was the play call was just let's get Felton Davis lined up one on one against the corner. Let's just throw him a fade, let's throw it up in the air, and he'll come down with it. It was just he was so good at high pointing yeah. the ball, those fifty fifty balls. He was what six three, uh, just just was unstoppable at times in the red Mm -hmm. zone. Yeah. That's who I had. He's listed as six, four. Um, but yeah, he, uh, Deandre Hopkins was a comparison. Again, I was going to mention that the dreads were probably playing into my thought process a little bit, but (laughs) I mean, you you think back on like that, the hail Mary that, uh, the Cardinals scored this year, right. Where, uh, Kyler Murray was running for his life, threw it up. Hopkins brings it down and, and, you know, the quote after the game was four dudes. Yeah. I think Murray said like, you know, I was, I knew D hop was down there somewhere and that, that was Felton Davis for us. It was the, when all else fails, you know, where Felton Davis is on the field, get the ball in that general vicinity, you know, up high where you can jump for it and and let him do the work. And um, I think if he had a full senior year, he would have got a lot more looks could have gone to the combine. I think it would have been a different story for him. So definitely one of those, 
what could have been situations. It's a shame how his career ended, but uh, a personal favorite of mine. Yeah, I, re- I remember him being talked about as as like a third or fourth round pick, honestly, mm-hmm. before that injury that, you know, he was building some real momentum for himself. And uh, yeah, j- that's always going to be a tough one for us to swallow. But yeah, great player, great pick. Uh, again, he was a guy I knew would be taken in this uh, in this exercise here at some point. So my center, <laughs> the moment we've all been waiting for. <laughs> I, God, this is, I don't feel good about this, uh, but I think this is going to be, now that I'm kind of running through the list. I have no idea. I don't have another center on my This team, This so. might be the first current active Spartan oh. that has been selected. Like, I, we're running real low. Like, Travis Jackson played a few games at center, but... Like Jack Allen started for like three straight seasons and then turned it over to Brian Allen who started for a couple of years. Like there's only a couple guys that are really available and, and none of them were like consistent starters for more than a single season. And none of them were that good. So I'm going to go with Nick Samak, our, okay. our first active player. It, it was, it's honestly between him and Matt Allen. And I think Samak is the better player. Uh, He started uh, six games this season, Penn State, Ohio State, Northwestern, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan. Um, So six of our seven games, he played in all seven, but uh, six of the seven games this season he started. And I think he he was not, I'm not going to call him a great player. I'm not going to say he was even necessarily a bright spot, but if I were to take this this starting five offensive line throughout the season, I would say Nick Samek and J.D. Duplain were probably the two best players of that group. I don't feel great about this when you're giving me 11 seasons and only two centers theoretically are going to get picked. I would think I would end up with a better player. But here we are, Nick Samek getting picked. Not necessarily a slight on him. I do think that there's there's some upside. And again, 2020 was just his sophomore season, so there's plenty of room to grow. He played in all seven games last year. As far as looking at you know health, started all the all the games that he had available to him. So hopefully, this can be a guy that can develop into a nice role for himself, stay healthy stay on the field and continue to progress. But his sophomore season in 2020, I thought was solid and uh, I'll take him to be my center here. Not feeling great about it, but that's where we're at here. I mean, listen, I don't think Nixon Max is the next Jack, Jack Allen. Um, But you mentioned he's the only one who's currently active. And I think he's a guy we can be really, really excited about. I think he's a guy, if we did this exercise again next year, we might be putting 2021 Nick Samack in there, Um, you know, without the caveat that we were running low on centers. I think he could be (laughs) a really strong uh, player. I think he's, like you said, a bright spot on our offensive line right now. A guy who I think, what was he, only a sophomore this past year? Yep. True um, sophomore. So he started, got plenty uh, of room to, what, four or five games as a freshman last year. Yeah, plenty of room to grow, plenty of opportunity on our offensive line. He's not going to get usurped by, you know, anybody coming up in the wings. So it should be a name that we're going to be talking more and more about over the next uh, couple of years. Um, all right, so that brings us to our last pick. Uh, it's obviously my last wide receiver. And... 
Let me see. Who did I have in my honorable mentions for receiver? I mean, I had guys like RJ Shelton. He's a slot guy. Benny Fowler, who was always there, but yep, never had yep. that monster season. Daryl Stewart's kind of another slot guy. Yep. Um, and speaking of guys last year, the stats really weren't there because of the shortened season and everything, but Jalen Naylor, I would throw in there. Kind of an okay, awkward, okay. Like, so that... not outside, not inside. Um but but certainly an athletic guy and had a good year last year. Um, I think eked out uh, Reed for best receiver last season. They both had strong years, but I thought Naylor was a little better. But, yes, unfortunately, I wish I could tell you Kevin's predictions were wrong because hey, it was hey, more hey. exciting. Uh, Cody White, another guy who felt like he had more to give than really not, – not saying he was holding back, but it felt like – the stars never truly aligned to realize his potential at Michigan state Um, 2019, which was kind of that lost year. You could feel D'Antonio's kind of tenure coming to an end. He almost put up a thousand yards from scrimmage. He had 944 yards from scrimmage, 66 catches, six touchdowns Um, was a guy from right at the beginning. He had almost 500 yards as a freshman and four touchdowns. He was a guy that as soon as he was on campus, people were kind of looking at him like, Oh, this Cody White kid, you know, we might have some. Played a lot there. of quarterback in high school as well. I remember yeah, that. At I mean, Walt he was Lake a great, great athlete. He was – the frustrating thing about Cody White was it felt like he was really phenomenal most of the time, but never seemed to be the guy who made the big play when we needed it. And that's not to necessarily to say he – had drops or ran the wrong route or something in a big situation. It was just, he was never really the name that they were calling when a big play was made. He was a guy who kept drives moving. He was a guy who was out there on the field, drawing attention from defenders. And he was making some really athletic, good plays, but never really seemed to kind of like staple his legacy with a handful of memorable plays, you know, that stick in your head. So I'm going to put him in there at 2019. Again, almost a thousand total yards. I think he was the best guy left on the board for wide receivers. Um, I mentioned those other guys who all had phenomenal single seasons or careers as well. It was kind of a mishmash after, uh, after Felton Davis here, but I thought Cody White just had a little bit more. I think it just comes down to the athleticism that he showed. Yeah, Cody, it was a coin flip for me between Cody White and, honestly, Jalen Naylor. Uh, I, I kind of brought this up last week with Antoine Simmons where the statistical part of the 2020 season is so weird that you, you kind of have to figure out how to, how to normalize it. And again, same thing with Antoine Simmons. Would he have kept up the exact same pace? Who knows? But for for the sake of argument, if you took Jalen Naylor's 2020 season and averaged it out over 13 games, he would wind up with 48 catches for 956 yards and seven touchdowns, right? And and uh, Cody White in that season ended up with 922 and six touchdowns. So they, they'd be neck and neck there. Jalen Naylor, obviously a little bit more of a big play guy with doing it on 48 catches, Cody White more the steady sure-handed guy with 66 catches. Um, So I guess it just kind of depends on what you're looking for in that sense. But 
Yeah, I I had similar guys thinking about R.J. Shelton in 2016 was was a solid slot receiver, uh, return man. He took a bunch of jet sweeps and stuff like that. Uh, Benny Fowler had an outstanding career, never really had that one season that stood out. Uh, Mark Dell in 2010 was another guy I had written down as kind of an honorable mention, not somebody that you're going to really jump out of your seat to go um, and get really excited about, but solid player uh, in in the early D'Antonio days. Um, a couple other ones that stood out in terms of honorable mention, now that we're finished up, and then we'll kind of recap our teams and get out of here. Edwin Baker, he's never going to crack these top two running backs, but he had a really underrated MSU career. Uh, people forget about him, but he had a couple of seasons there. Short powerful runner like that's just kind of the thing that stands out with him and he was a four-star guy that really lived up to his uh to his billing so I think Edwin Baker there LJ Scott I guess you could throw on there he just never really seemed to live up to that potential and in 2015 was the year I wrote down like his true freshman year Mm -hmm. that was probably his best season and then he just kind of plateaued and never really put it all together there at at the running back spot to be fair the line's the offensive line talent significantly dropped off yeah. after 2015. I mean, that was the last season for Conklin and Allen, who again were, I think the only all Americans on the offensive line that we had in our talent pool for this exercise. And they were both blocking for LJ, his freshman year, not to say LJ is worse than he looked just to say that the, the blocking a lot more was on his shoulders after the, that, 2015 season um for some for some reason when you said that about those two being all americans the the, what just popped into my head was uh gary bertier and remember the titans we're the only all americans you've got on this team (laughs) (laughs) i've had a couple beers today let's uh we're getting loose (laughs) yeah yeah no it, it i mean i'd throw eli collins as a freshman on there as well as an honorable mention uh yep he's He's in the middle of a weird character arc, I think, at Michigan State, if you will. Um, his freshman year, again, we all thought, well, next year, you know, put put the Big Ten on notice. You know, he was clearly the best freshman running back his freshman year. Last year took a step back, as everybody knows. Um, big step back, unfortunately. But over 1,000 yards from scrimmage, almost 1,000 rushing yards, uh, five touchdowns. I mean, he was 2019. He looked like the future of the program with the quarterback headed out. You know, we were expecting it to be his offense and him to be the next bell cow. Um, kind of hard to pin down what kind of slowed him down this past year, and he's going to have a lot of competition, but he's still got that talent in him somewhere. So we'll see what he looks like this fall. Could certainly springboard back into the heavy rotation here. Yeah, and other than that, uh, some guys I had written down that weren't called out. Uh, Charlie Gant in 2010 at tight end. Uh, obviously, we we all remember him from the Little Giants play where he was the, the receiving end of the fake field goal touchdown pass against Notre Dame. Uh, Brian Linthicum, I, I kind of mentioned him uh, a little bit, but he, he had a good season in 2011. He's a solid tight end. Uh, not somebody that's going to really blow you away. Cody Keeler was an offensive tackle I had written down that his name wasn't really mentioned. And David Beadle, in terms of the interior guys, was another one that I think deserves a shout-out. 
Uh, not quite a guy that that's going to get into this discussion, but he was a third team all Big Ten, so uh, definitely deserves uh, a shout out here in this list. Yeah, no, and I guess a couple. Did you mention David Beetle? Did you just mention David? Yep, Beetle? yep. Yeah, okay, so we covered that. The only guy who I have on here that we did not cover is Brian Lewerke. Um, I think he's a tier and a half below Connor Cook and Kirk Cousins. Yeah, you you would never take him over those two. But if this was a three-person exercise, I think the third person wouldn't be, like, angry about winding up with Lurie, right? right? Yeah, I mean, he was the only guy in this era that we're talking about who had lasting success of any degree. I mean, you had Tyler O'Connor's year and a little bit of filling in for Cook when he was injured. You have Andrew Maxwell's year, which was horrible. Um, and you have the recent, obviously this past year, which was, uh, a story in itself at quarterback. So Lewerke, again, a guy who had a, you're, you're just going to skip over Damian Terry like that. <laughs> he did. Did he have any starts? I don't <laughs> the think he disrespect, man. No, it, it was that 2015 Ohio state game, him and, uh, TOC oh, basically split time, but yeah, that was about it. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he has the highest ratio of fans chanting his name versus actual snaps <laughs> on the field um he was he, is, he must have gotten at least like seven or eight games where he had a stadium chanting his name we want terry <laughs> yeah no i participated in that at one point he was like the because i think he was a decent recruit high three star maybe four star um dual threat guy and he came on at the perfect time for you know, it was off the heels of the first real handful of dual threat quarterbacks taking over the world. And not not like your Mike Vick or your Warren Moon where it's like he's the anomaly, but really the first wave of like dual threat is a viable strategy in college football. He was our first dual threat good recruit to come in at quarterback. People were like, yeah, we're going to turn a corner. We're going to be dual threat now, as if Mark D'Antonio wasn't our coach. And uh, <laughs> we thought he was the guy, right? We thought he was our Vince Young. Or, I, yep. I don't know. Um, and we were so convinced of it. And he yeah. came in with Delton Williams, I remember, oh, out of uh, same high school. They played together in Pennsylvania. That was a random yeah. fun fact. So, uh, but, but yeah, Lewerke, um sophomore year, showed flashes, got hurt. Junior year, had a pretty good season. Senior year, had a pretty good season, dealt with a little bit of uh, aches and pains a senior year as well. Um, but uh, yeah, no, this is fun. When I look at our teams um, in a vacuum, I like both of them a lot. I mean, if I have to pick one, it's mine, obviously. But <laughs> your receivers are phenomenal. You can't go wrong at quarterback. We had two strong um too strong I think if you pulled a hundred people at Michigan State you might get a 50-50 split there I mean your tackles well I don't know your your first tackle is significantly better with Conklin I had DJ Young as my fourth tackle I thought Finotti and France is a decent combination my interior line I think stands a pretty solid tier above yours um I don't know. These are, it's great. And I think when you look at, we're both attacking our defense's weaknesses. I mean, I'm, I'm going right up the middle, Le'Veon Bell 30 times a game Yep. You know, <laughs> with some, with some big play receivers on the outside when you need it, you're going all out air attack. 
Um, oh yeah, we're going air raid. Kirk Cousins, baby, he's leading the charge. Defensive backs are locking you down. So it's it's going to be. Uh, can you get more than three and a half yards of carry with Le'Veon Bell? Probably. This will be a high-scoring game. Yeah. So no, let's 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 recap it, and then we're definitely gonna we're gonna come up with a, a graphic. We've been kind of working on that throughout the week. This week, uh, we've gotten a little lazy with it, but we we're definitely gonna put out a graphic now that the teams are complete. We'll put it out on Twitter at Standing Room MSU at Spartan Martin eighteen, and then on Instagram as well at Standing Room Spartans. And we really want your guys's feedback. Who wins the game? What's the score? What's the Vegas spread? Get, like whatever you guys are thinking, um, you got to let us know because uh, th- this has been a lot of fun, and I really hope you guys have enjoyed it, and I really hope um, you guys can appreciate our teams here and, and let us know what you think about it. So to recap my offense here, my quarterback, Kirk Cousins, the 2011 season, my running back, is Jeremy Langford, specifically in 2014. My wide receivers, I have Aaron Burbridge, 2015, Tony Lippett, 2014, B.J. Cunningham, 2011. My tight end is Deion Sims from the 2012 season. My tackles, Jack Conklin and D.J. Young. My offensive guards are Joel Foreman and Blake Treadwell. And my center Nick Samak. Uh, Scott, go ahead and recap your team for us. Yeah, well, Kevin doesn't focus on the trenches, but that's where I start. So um, right in the middle, Jack Allen, 2015 specifically at center. His brother Brian's sitting there in the wings waiting for him. I hate that you took Brian Allen so much. Yeah, I mean, it's perfect. Uh, (laughs) Travis Jackson on the other side at guard, just uh, mauling people for like seven years. And then on the outside, I got Dan France and Fufinotti, who they might not get the accolades, but they'll get the job done. Um, and they're protecting, first and foremost, Le'Veon Bell on the ground. Um, and when we need to, we'll throw the ball to <laughs> Connor Cook. So maybe on third downs, again, the third down king, Connor Cook. Hey, I was going to say, if you're going to rely on one guy on just third downs to throw the ball, Connor Cook's probably your guy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, his, his favorite target, Josiah Price, first and foremost, grabbing those third downs, those touchdowns. And then on the outside, we got an interesting trio here, Felton Davis, Moss, and dudes, Cody White being an athlete, and Keyshawn Martin running around uh, like a chicken with his head cut off. So it's, uh, it's interesting. I hate your offensive line, to be honest, especially the left or the right side. Um, well, that, that's the thing is the right side, that's Kirk. That's not going to be the blind side, right? So Kirk can manipulate that a little bit when he's in the pocket. His left side, he is safe. He's good. You don't have to worry about that. And then if we're running the ball, like I, I, I'll tell you as an offensive coordinator to the defensive coordinator, I'll tell you we're running up the left side every time. We're not touching that right side. doesn't matter. We're running behind Joel Foreman and Jack Conklin off tackle to the left every time. If we're running the ball, that's where we're going. Good luck stopping it. I know you got yourself a nice front seven. Greg but... Jones. Good luck stopping <laughs> it. I'll take Greg Jones against your entire offensive line. Yeah, it's that's gonna be a coin flip battle. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll leave it up to the fans. So five versus one. Yeah, it's a coin flip still. We'll post the graphics, we'll post the teams on social, we'll probably put a poll up on Twitter, uh, on yep. Kevin's Twitter account. We'll use that as kind of the master the the bible if you will the decision maker so if you're listening to this wondering where you can add your input first of all 
like rate review, leave some input, leave some questions on, uh, on the reviews and uh, head over to Twitter. Give us your vote. Give us your thoughts. What's the story? You know, what's the headline on, on the, uh, well, the Detroit free press wouldn't report on us, but what's the headline on the Lansing state <laughs> news? Um, yeah, no, great. Graham Couch, you know, he's he's busy doing basketball, but, you know, there's there's a few days off between games. I'm sure he'll get a column out. No, it's it, this has been a lot of fun. We're, we got a couple other things in mind when we get, you know, there's spring balls coming up, so we'll start getting back into this team. But then there's a long summer, so we got a couple other draft-type topics that we'll – uh, do because th- this was a lot of fun uh, and and we'll see what you guys think about our teams and I uh, yeah they're two very different roster constructions but I-, I think that if this hypothetical matchup were to come it-, it would be a good one one more thing we forgot to mention at the top of the show kind of went under the radar this week but Michigan State Pro Day is scheduled for March 24th so within a month um, that came out of the presser, I think, this week. Uh, there wasn't a lot of fanfare about it, but if, as Kevin mentioned, uh, some things around the draft, the real draft, fake drafts, uh, our pro day will be March 24th. <laughs> so mark your calendar. Good call. Yeah, we'll, we'll make sure we, we get the summary of that. We got Shakur Brown, Antoine Simmons, Naquan Jones. We got some guys that I think uh, some NFL teams will definitely be interested in. So, I think that'll be a pro day that's pretty well attended by uh, NFL scouts. So until next week, have yourselves a phenomenal Monday, a phenomenal week. uh, And uh, we'll, we'll have to see what you think about our teams. Take care folks. That was long as hell, wasn't it? (laughs) I have